Welcome to Pull Back, the podcast that digs into the ethics behind everyday choices. We are a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network, and you can check out our partner shows at harbingermedianetwork.com. I actually just started listening to Kino Lefter, which is like a left-wing take on popular new movies, and I don't agree with their takes on, like, they really like (laughs) movies that I really didn't like, and they really don't like movies that I do like, but I (laughs) am into it. I'm here for it. I'm listening, and I recommend if anyone wants to check out (laughs) a particular show this week, Kino Lefter, a big fan, even though, again, we disagree on every movie. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they loved Matrix Resurrections, and I was, like, not the most impressed with it, but now I kind of want to. Oh no, it. spoilers! Oh. I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're past the spoiler window on that one, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to hear their take on the Batman because I think I'm the only person on the planet that didn't like it. But that's not what our show is about. I'm Kyla Houston. <laughs> I'm here with Christian <laughs> Pugh, <laughs> and today we're talking about avocados, which is I was going to do a Batman voice just there. <laughs> just <so you know. laughs> oh no, do you want to do it now? <laughs> Uh, yeah, why not? I am Kristen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Kristen, do you think that Batman could save the avocado industry? Uh, I mean, insofar as he fights cartels, maybe. Mm. Yeah. Also, he's like a billionaire. Do you think like if he redistributed his wealth, that would help the avocado problem? Yeah. I don't know if it would help that much, but in general, I think redistributing wealth helps a lot. The particular problems of avocados, I mean, he could save some butterflies, I guess, but... Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, strap in. It's going to be quite an episode. Cool. All right. I am here. I am here for this. Like, I don't know very much about avocados, except that it's like distinctly a millennial thing that is mocked. Like, we really like avocados. And I'm like... I can't afford avocados lately, but I guess that's also why I can't afford a house. That's like a meme that went around a few years ago. Oh, man. This is like, yeah, if there's a symbol of the millennial lifestyle, I feel like it's the avocado. Yeah. Have you ever had avocado hand? What? Oh, yes. Uh, um, I have not. But that's when you're like, is that like when you're trying to get the seed out of an avocado and you slice your hand? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, I've done that. I had to get stitches. Uh, there are dozens <gasps> of us. Dozens of us. <laughs> <laughs> no, but since I got avocado hand, I learned that you can actually just like pop the seed out from the like the back. And so you don't even need a knife. So I feel doubly stupid now. <laughs> <laughs> That's what this whole episode is about, is how avocados have wronged us individually. Yes, yes. Avocados are unethical because I hurt myself once. (laughs) End of episode. (laughs) So um, avocados are a fruit. Technically, they're a berry, um, which I think is fun. (laughs) We're not even two minutes into this, and I I am calling bullshit. No way an avocado counts as a berry. (laughs) That's what they're called. Um, They're basically like olives in that they're not sweet. They, rather than like being full of sugars, they are more fatty. Stop it. I'm having a galaxy brain moment here. Are olives berries? (laughs) I don't know. But like in principle, they seem like they could be. I don't know though. Man, I don't know anything about like, I don't, did I think that olives were vegetables? I don't even know. I thought, I guess I thought so. Olives are just olives. They're their own thing. That's how I feel. (laughs) Um, But avocados, we primarily eat them, but they can also be used to make oil. Um, You know, it's a pretty common cooking oil now, and it's also used in cosmetics and some soaps. So not always directly consumed, but often. Avocados grow on... Avocado trees? Yeah! Nice. (laughs) Nailed it. Um, So they're, they're tropical evergreen trees. They grow throughout the year. They don't have like a a hibernation period like some uh, trees you know, in northern forests do. Avocados are not quite sure where they originated. It's believed that they originated in Mexico, uh, maybe Guatemala and the West Indies as well. So it's sort of a Latin American, Central America kind of fruit. And, uh, you know, in the early 1900s, they were actually known as alligator pears, which I think is a way cooler name. I wish we'd bring that back. Yeah, we should keep calling them that. Yeah, so um, avocado is actually the traditional name. Um, it comes from the Aztec, uh, I'm going to butcher this, but Ahuacacuatl, 
or testicle tree, which I understand why they didn't go that way. (laughs) (laughs) That is a perfect name for it, though, isn't it? Like, they really do look like, like really swollen testicles. The testicles of someone that needs to go to the doctor. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they were originally called alligator pears, um, and that was not particularly appetizing. It was also confusing because they're not sweet. You're like expecting a pear, and then you get like an avocado. Um, so the California Avocado Association decided that this like more exotic and like traditional name would sell better, which, you know. One theme in this episode is going to be the like the California avocado industry because they've done some marketing things with the avocado. <laughs> All right, let's talk a little bit about the rise of the avocado. So avocados, they were sort of this obscure fruit that people didn't really want. And uh, in the 1920s, there was sort of a marketing effort to pitch them as a luxury item. So You might see like old style recipes from like the 20s through the 60s where uh, like there's just like shrimp in an avocado or something like that. Um, That's because it was pitched as a luxury item for a while. But in the 1980s, avocados took a real hit um, because low fat diets became popular. So um, people did not want this extremely fatty fruit. (laughs) It was rough times for avocado growers. But luckily, advertising can solve all, um, and the mainstream popularity of avocados was the result of a marketing campaign um, that the California avocado growers uh, paid for. And it did a couple of really weird things that I just want to touch on. I know this has nothing to do with ethics, but I just find it interesting. (laughs) No, I mean, I'm here for it. What, sorry, what year did they start doing this marketing? Like in the 90s, vaguely. Yeah. Okay. That, okay, so marketing in the '90s was pretty balls out. Like, I want to, I want to hear a little bit about what they decided to do. <laughs> yeah. So the first one is like not all that like out there. Um, the second one a little bit more. But we'll start with how they pitched guacamole as a Super Bowl snack, because um, this was like about at the same time where the Super Bowl was starting to become a snack foods thing. Like prior to the '90s, you didn't necessarily associate Super Bowl with Super Bowl snacks in the same way. So. They tried to hop on that train and did so pretty successfully through a campaign they called Guacamole Bowl, um, where basically they would try to solicit recipes from NFL players. And uh, it's pretty successful. Um, In the 2019 Super Bowl, 162 million pounds of avocado was consumed. (laughs) It's a full 7% of annual avocado consumption, just the Super Bowl. Avocado bowl, I feel like there's like a better, I feel like there's like a punnier sort of market. Like that just feels lazy, you know? Avocado bowl. If listeners could like tweet at us at Pullback Podcast with what you think would be a better marketing campaign than just avocado bowl, I feel like that's lazy. But it worked. So I guess who am I to judge? (laughs) Okay. The next marketing campaign by Big Avocado was called Searching for Mrs. Ripe. Can you guess what that might have been? Uh, <laughs> was it what? Mm, was it like a commercial where men were squeezing avocados that a woman was holding up to her breasts? No, but honestly, I think that's like less creepy than what this was. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so they had this uh, cartoon avocado character that they called Mr. Ripe Guy. And they had this whole campaign around finding him, like, a girlfriend. Um, and it was searching for Mrs. Ripe, which I think is a really cute campaign if you're, like, marketing other cartoonized, like, foods. But it's the 90s, so instead it was just, like, this creepy beauty pageant where, like, the winner was crowned the wife of this weird cartoon avocado. But was it real women competing? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. fucking go off 90s like what were you doing was this like (laughs) was this was this who hosted this where where was it advertised did did people watch this on tv or like i don't understand the yeah i don't know i i do not have more details than just that um and honestly that took a little bit of digging but if other people know about searching for mrs ripe or Mr. Ripe Guy, which I think is a pretty cool name for a cartoon avocado, to be honest. But let us know, because it's fucking weird. I don't know. Hmm. 
How strange. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So that happened. The 90s were fairly successful in popularizing the avocado, but avocados didn't really get their heyday until like the 2010s when avocados became known as a superfood. And as you mentioned, the avocado toast became a weird trend. I have a, a fun piece of trivia about avocado toast for you, if you'd like. Okay, I'm here for it. Avocado toast is believed to have first appeared on a menu in 1993. I'm curious as to whether you can guess the country where that happened. Um, I mean, the fact that you're asking me to guess tells me that it's probably a weird country. So, like, not Mexico, not the... Is it Canada? Is it Canada? It's not Canada. Think of, like, countries that like to put weird shit on toast. (laughs) Is it France? (laughs) Oh, but great guess. It's Australia. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. That was my next guess. Has anybody ever... Okay. Listeners who know what fairy bread is will understand why I should have guessed Australia right away. And listeners who don't, um, you're better off. <laughs> you're better off not well, it's knowing. It's not just like... Is that the Dutch thing where you put like butter and then sprinkles on bread? Or is it different? Is that Dutch? I thought that that was just Australian. Oh, so they ripped it off of the Dutch. Great. (laughs) It's not even an original gross thing. Australia, you should be ashamed. That's all right. Vegemite crushes all in terms of weird stuff to put on toast. So (laughs) once and forever champions of weird shit on toast. And so obviously, um, you know, avocado toast became this huge thing associated with millennials. In 2013, it became like Got a big boost when Gwyneth Paltrow put it in her cookbook. Avocados, they've grown quite a lot over that period. Between 2010 and 2019, the avocado market in Canada increased by 240%. So, Oh, so in nine years? Yeah. <laughs> and it had already been going up since the 90s. Like, think about that. They're a healthy fat, though, right? Like, they're pretty good for you. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> There's some vi- vitamins in there. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that, like, as the popularity of, like, vegetarianism has risen, then so has the popularity of, like, fat replacements. But I don't know. Maybe it also has to do with, like, crazy marketing and cartels. (laughs) Like, almost certainly the crazy marketing thing. Uh, (laughs) Because it really seems like uh, Big Avocado has put a lot of money towards that. But here we are. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention before we move on to, like, you know, ethics and whatever our podcast is actually about. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So like, you know, there's that whole thing about like millennials not being able to buy a house because of avocado toast. You can actually find, we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, There's a house deposit avocado toast calculator. So you can find out like how many millions of avocado toasts you'd have to buy. You'd have to stop buying in order to get a house. (laughs) Nice. I like that somebody cheekily did that. Housing, super cool, not a crisis at all. All right, where are avocados grown? Sort of one of the first things that I wanted to know anyway. So avocados grow best in humid tropical weather with well-draining soil. So they're not something you could grow in Canada. They're something that you can only grow in a few places in the United States. So like California and Florida are the big avocado states. But avocados are mostly grown in Central America. And increasingly now in, um, in Africa as well, um, and also like tropical places elsewhere in the world, or places that aren't tropical but are warm and uh, have irrigation. So like Israel is a big grower, not, not a notoriously wet country. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that must be, is, is that a problem then for like drought and shit? Like especially as we go into like the 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 middle years of climate crisis, like yeah, it's not great. We'll talk about that more later, but um but yeah, the short the short answer is no. It's it's not it's not great. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Uh, So the big producer of avocados is Mexico. Mexico produces about 80% of the U.S. avocado supply and 95% of avocados in Canada. So I'm going to focus a lot on Mexico today just because we are a Canadian podcast. And if you're getting avocados in Canada, you're probably getting Mexican avocados. So I'm sorry, European um, or, you know, Australian or whatever other country people are listening 
whatever other places people are listening from. Um, you might be getting your avocado somewhere else, but Mexico is the world's biggest producer, so I think it's probably okay to focus on them. <laughs> well, especially since I think they have the most interesting relationship with avocados. Yeah, it is pretty fascinating. Um, and just to preview that, um, so most of the Mexican avocados come from one particular region um, or state in Mexico called uh, Michoacan. Um, which is a state that's on the southwest coast of Mexico near Jalisco. So we'll talk more about Michoacan in this episode. <laughs> but it's not just Mexico that grows avocados. Um, the next biggest producers are Colombia, the Dominican Republic, Peru, Indonesia, Kenya, and Brazil. So you can see there's a bit of a range there. And um, avocado production in particular is growing pretty quickly in African countries because it's a cash crop. So, um, you know... If you're looking to make profits, uh, <laughs> avocados are a good crop to grow. There also are some avocados grown in the States. They're mostly in California if they're grown there. California used to be like a bigger producer relative to the whole market, but it sort of decreased after NAFTA was passed, um, the North America Free Trade Agreement, um, because it ended like a, a ban that had started in 1914 on Mexican avocados. So um, for most of the 20th century, Mexican avocados were not allowed to be imported into the U.S., um, which is just like a pest-related thing. Uh, and when NAFTA was passed, that went out the window. And so now you have like most of the avocados that Americans consume coming from Mexico. Um, and notably, the only state right now that is allowed to send avocados to the U.S. is Michoacan. So there are other states that produce avocados, but most of them aren't able to export to the states. All right. <laughs> My next subtitle says, let's talk about Haas avocados. Have you ever eaten a Haas avocado? Do you know? Have you ever looked at like avocado types? I mean, maybe. <laughs> uh, do they look significantly different than regular avocados? Um, they are regular avocados. Haas avocados are the most common kind of avocado that people eat now. There are a lot of different kinds of avocado. You've probably eaten Haas avocados um, if you've not sort of really looked, but Haas avocados are sort of smaller. They've got thicker, bumpier skin. You can get avocados that are bigger, that are like smoother skin, that will stay green. You know, like they do look a little bit different. I think there's even some that are like more purpley. But for the most part, like 97% of avocados sold in the U.S. today are Haas avocados. And that's for a couple of reasons. One is it's smaller, so it's easier for people to eat before they go bad. People like that. The tough skin makes it easy to transport. They damage less easily. Uh, so Haas avocados are what we mostly eat, and they are a monoculture. They were discovered in the 20s. And now all Haas avocados are descendant from a mother Haas tree in La Habra Heights, California. So is that is that tree still around? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like how long do avocado trees live, you know? <laughs> yeah, I didn't look that up, but um, I don't know. They can grow up to 60 feet tall. So oh, damn. Presumably a little while, but I don't know. Yeah. That sounds like an almost like a dangerous, like I'm sure you're going to talk about this, but like avocados falling from 60 feet high, that cannot be like good for people. You know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't think about the hazard of avocados falling, but I did make sure to look at how people harvested avocados so we didn't run into like a palm oil issue where I thought people climbed the trees and it was like, no, <laughs> no, they use poles. You're fine. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. I was, you know, I was just about to say like, I don't think we've covered a monocrop before, but now I'm like, oh yeah, palm oil. <laughs> yeah. Also, also coffee, but... <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> and tea. <laughs> yep. Oh, the world's great. So um, let's talk a little bit about growing avocados. A great segue, Kyla. So avocados are picked. Um, they need to mature on the tree, but they do most of their ripening once they've already been picked um, so that they're not bad by the time they make it to the supermarket. And there are different seasons for different avocado varieties, but... Um, Typically, you can sort of harvest avocados two to four times per year. It seems to depend somewhat on the variety. It seems to depend somewhat on where they're grown. But that's in general. There's like somewhere between two and four harvests every year of avocados. 
Avocados are really tricky to pollinate. So actually, instead of growing new avocado trees from seeds, most of the time avocado growers will graft um, new trees from old trees, which is a really weird technique. Um, but it's basically like Frankensteining uh, roots and branches together. And then eventually they fuse and you've got like a new tree. Whoa. So what you're saying is if I were to take an avocado and plant it in my backyard, I probably wouldn't be able to get an avocado tree. Well, for many reasons, one of which being that Vancouver is <laughs> way too cold. <laughs> well, what if I planted it in my bathtub, Kristen? <laughs> but yeah, for a while in the early pandemic, I was saving my avocado seeds because I'd seen something online that like you could dry them out and then plant them and they would grow. No. <laughs> you were duped. <laughs> I was duped big time. So like if you do decide to take an avocado tree from a seed, it takes about four to six years before it can actually produce any fruit. I don't know what the timeline is for grafting, but presumably it's something similar to that, depending on how big the grafted material is. So you do have to put some time into it. Um, and that's actually something we'll talk about. I'm not sure if we'll talk about this a little later, but I had mentioned that Jalisco um, is starting to produce avocados and you know, there's a lot of production that's happening there in terms of like they're growing the trees. But um, in a lot of cases, it's not harvesting yet because it hasn't been enough time. Um, avocados, because they're monocultures, uh, they are highly susceptible to viral, bacterial and nutritional diseases. Um, so that's not great for avocados. It means that you have to use a fair amount of fertilizer. It's also not great for biodiversity. And, you know, it can create food insecurity if crops fail en masse. So... Monocultures are not great. Let's talk about farming and what happens after the farm. So most avocado growers in Mexico have five to 10 hectares of land. So it's relatively small farms, um, but avocado farms or orchards can be much larger. In California, some avocado farms are over 100 hectares. And just to give listeners some context, because like that meant absolutely nothing to me. <laughs> Five hectares is about nine football fields, and 100 hectares is about 180 football fields. So, Oh, wow. That's still hard to, like, imagine, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just imagine a football field and then imagine, like, 200 of them stacked together. <laughs> Some avocado farms are that big. Um, avocados are pretty labor-intensive fruit to pick, as you might imagine, because they're picked by hand. Basically, it's like um, you take, like, shears or whatever, and you're cutting the avocado off of their stems, um, which is like what the little little piece at the at the end of the avocado is. That's the stem. And for avocados that are higher up, there are picking poles and ladders. So either it'll be a ladder, you sort of go up the ladder and then cut it by hand, or there's these like devices with baskets and knives. They seem complicated, but <laughs> but people seem to like them in the videos that I saw. So there, it's fairly labor intensive, but there are some tools because they are such tall trees. And after avocados are harvested, they get transported and brought to packing plants, which is where they get cleaned, sorted, packed, and then placed into cold storage before they go on to wherever their next destination is. So this will be relevant later in the episode, but in Mexico, most avocados are packed in the city of Uruapan. So we'll talk about that more. All right. Do you want to talk about the environment for a bit? Yeah. Um, I imagine it will be similar to like the palm oil industry in that a um, monocrop that needs like you know, tens of hundreds of hectares to grow can't be very good for biodiversity. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I actually decided not to talk too much about monoculture for this episode because I think we should just do an episode on why monocropping is bad. So I'm not going to talk too much about it, but yes, it is bad for biodiversity in general. Um, you know, it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about, um, I'm going to talk about greenhouse gas emissions. I'm going to talk about water use um, and I'm going to talk about deforestation a little bit. Those will be the themes that I'll hit on this. Yeah, I bet avocados are really thirsty. They're fat boys. <laughs> yeah. So yes, um, they're also fairly um, emissions intensive. So according to one calculation, the overall emissions footprint of an avocado ha is about 423 grams of carbon dioxide. 
Um, so just to give you some context, that is fairly substantial for a plant-based food. Um, if you compare that with a large cappuccino with dairy milk, um, it's, you know, twice as much almost. So a large cappuccino with dairy milk is 235 grams of carbon dioxide. That's fairly unusual for a plant-based food um, that's not like a nut. <laughs> Usually anything that has milk in it is just going to dwarf a plant-based food, but avocados do have a fairly high emissions footprint. And you'll often see articles online that are like, look at all these emissions of an avocado compared to like a tomato or a banana. But I do want to put it in context just a little bit. Um, so I think I had mentioned 423 grams of carbon dioxide for an avocado. Um, if you take that same calculation for a kilogram of beef, it is 60,000 grams of carbon dioxide. Um, and for poultry, it's 6,000. So just to put that in context a bit, a kilogram of beef is about 142 times as emissions intensive as an avocado to grow. Um, and before my naysayers, uh, get upset with me. Let's take it on a per calorie basis. Beef is still 20 times as emissions intensive as avocados if you do it that way. So yeah, it's uh, for a plant. Yes, pretty high emissions. In general, eh. <laughs> if we replaced all of our cows with avocados, well, I don't know what kind of vitamin changes we would need to worry about, but basically the emissions <laughs> yeah. would still go down. <laughs> yes, um, that would not be a complete dietary choice, we'd have to add some other plant substitutes. <laughs> um, I, I just want to talk quickly about emissions across the food chain. Um, so um, for most food products, uh, the largest sources of emissions are land use and then farm stage emissions. Um, so that does seem to be the case for avocados. Uh, so although you should look at things like transportation and packaging, the environmental impact of processing, transport, retail, and packaging is actually typically pretty low. The biggest impact that you should focus on is land use um, and what happens actually on the farm themselves, because that's where most of the emissions are coming from. And that's maybe a good segue to talk a little bit about water use. <laughs> so yes, avocados are thirsty boys. It's a water-intensive crop. Uh, it takes approximately 70 liters of water to grow an avocado, um, which is already a lot. Um, just for context, it takes uh, it's like 12 times more water to produce an avocado than to grow a tomato. So, And tomatoes are <laughs> full of water. That's like... <laughs> um, and it depends as well on the region that you're growing it in and how you're growing it. Um, so for some regions that take a lot, an especially large amount... Um, of water to grow, it can be as much as 320 liters per avocado. Whoa. Is that like in Israel? Um, that was for Chile, but, uh, and it's just some regions of Chile, but yeah. So it, it really depends, but typically it's about 70 liters of water, which is still a lot. Approximately nine and a half billion liters of water are used every day to produce an avocado, which is 3,800 Olympic-sized swimming pools. That also doesn't really mean anything to me, but like I'm imagining a bunch of swimming pools all pushed together. <laughs> That's a lot of water. Is that to produce like all of the avocados that get consumed or? That's all the avocados that are produced every day. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that like I, I think is important to think about when you're talking about water use and, and avocados is like. When you're producing an avocado plantation, oftentimes you're converting a forest. And it's notable that an avocado orchard consumes about 1.6 times as much water as uh, a forest. So, you know, you're converting something that's using a lot less water to something that's going to be more water intensive. Yeah. And less, less of that biodiversity. So like... Yes. <laughs> like, I think in Australia, um, I, I was there for a year, and in order to get your second year visa, you're supposed to go do some farm work for three months, and I never really did it, but I did look into it a little bit, and one person was like, oh, yeah, I did avocado farming for a while, but the spiders on the avocados are huge, and I was like, well, I'm just don't know if I want to do any farm work now. <laughs> it's just like, oh, is the only thing that can live in an avocado orchard giant spiders? Because like... <laughs> and they're Australian spiders too. <laughs> yeah. They'll kill you. Oh, man. 
(laughs) (laughs) Australia is a lovely country. I feel like I'm dumping on them today. (laughs) (laughs) So another thing to think about when it comes to water use in avocados is that avocados are grown in relatively arid regions like California and Mexico that already are suffering from really high water stress. So this is the thing that I found that was very troubling. Avocado production in Michoacan requires extracting water from the aquifers that are around there, um, which is actually causing small earthquakes because it's opened up small subsoil caverns. So what? Yeah. What? So like eating an avocado is like the equivalent of fracking. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, on a smaller scale, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> holy shit that sucks that sucks so bad yeah um so that's troubling and in chile uh, there's evidence of avocado plantation owners actually depriving local villages of groundwater i was gonna go into a whole thing about chilean water because the chilean water privatization system is fascinating and it's really fucked but like the short answer is basically if you're a plantation owner and you have water rights a lot of them can basically just decide to like shut off the taps to towns that's wild i think they changed those rules but like (laughs) it's pretty messed up all right let's talk about deforestation so avocado production is actually a fairly large driver of deforestation in mexico Uh, For the state of Michoacan, it is about 30 to 40% of recent deforestation because it's such a large part of production there. Wow. So, yeah, I thought that was really interesting because I remember when we did our palm oil episode, I had looked at the figures and I was like, okay, palm oil, yeah, it drives deforestation, but it's like a very small percentage. It's like logging and other things as well. Here, it's like, that's a sizable chunk, (laughs) you know? So, you know, as avocado production continues to expand, that's a, that's a pretty big concern. And deforestation is not great, um, both because you're converting, you know, what is usually a pretty good carbon sink and a home for biodiversity into a monocrop, um, but also because deforestation can lead to erosion and river overflow, which can cause dangerous flooding and has in some cases and has killed people. So it's something that you don't want. Um, And as well, uh, in particular for the Mexican case, land clearing for avocado production has contributed to the destruction of butterfly habitats, and that's very sad. In particular, monarch butterflies, they come to Mexico in the winter, and uh, their winter homes are being destroyed for avocado production in a lot of cases. Oh, but like if the Batman were to spend some money and like create some monarch butterfly like rezoning areas do you think is that what you had in mind when i asked if bruce wayne could save uh (laughs) save the avocado industry (laughs) it's interesting that you mentioned that because i did find greenwashing i think it was from the mexican avocado exporters association it was something related to the avocado industry where they're like funding a monarch butterfly sanctuary (laughs) i'm like that's nice but (laughs) All right, that's all I had for the environment. Uh, Let's talk about people now. So I'll start by talking just really briefly about working conditions on avocado orchards. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because it actually does not seem seem terrible in the spectrum of agricultural work. So I was pleasantly surprised there. Um, But then we're going to talk about blood avocados for a bit. Then I'll talk very briefly about Kenya. So I'm not just talking about Mexico. (laughs) The working conditions on avocado farms seem broadly in line with other forms of agriculture, which is to say it's it's not great and the wages are pretty low, uh, but they don't seem to be one of the most egregious. Uh, Most harvesters today work for about $6 US an hour with no benefits, so that's not ideal. Um, It's not great, but honestly, um, you know, there's berry crops being produced in some of the same regions in Mexico, and uh, that actually sounded worse. Um, In the U.S., it looks like avocado harvesters are paid piece rates. Um, Do you know what, do you remember what that is? I know we talked about it in palm oil. Yeah, isn't it you get paid by how much you harvest? Uh, Yeah, exactly. You're paid per per item rather than hourly. So the typical price there was between a dollar and five cents to a dollar 35 per pound of avocados harvested. 
So again, you know, low wages, but didn't actually seem to be terribly out of line with what, you know, agriculture producers are making. Another thing to just highlight is it's not just the workers on the orchards, it's also packing house workers. So a lot of the packing house workers for avocados are in Mexico working 12-hour days for about 130 US dollars per week. So it's not like a a high-paid um, packing job at all. Perhaps I just wasn't able to find it, but I didn't see like hugely egregious violations happening. With the exception that the cartels <laughs> have been causing a lot of problems. So have you had you heard about like blood avocados or green gold or, you know, the cartels involvement with avocados before? Uh, I recently heard about the avocado like cartels because somebody on TikTok was talking about it. <laughs> and I'm like all over TikTok right now. But they were talking about it because the United States like banned Mexican avocados for like a day or two because a bunch of their or maybe one or two of their immigration officers or something like that were getting threatened by Mexican cartel folks. And they were like, and the United States was like, no, 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 you can't be threatening our dudes. We're going to stop importing avocados. And the person that I was watching on TikTok was like, we get 80% of our avocados from them. So like, we're going to have an avocado shortage in a couple of, a couple, like in a week if this isn't sorted out. But I think they did sort it out. So I don't know. The, the ban was ended, um, but the problem wasn't fixed. <laughs> if I can say it that way. So as I had mentioned before, Mexican avocados are grown primarily in the state of Michoacan, which is also at the front lines of the drug war in Mexico. Cartels have recently, a little bit more than recently, it's been more than a decade now, they've gotten involved with the avocado industry within Michoacan. It's not just the avocado industry, they're also involved in other uh, prominent agricultural crops like berries and limes, but avocados is a really big one. We've done episodes on conflict minerals before, and it struck me that a lot of what I was researching is similar between the two. You know, it's it's very similar in the sense that this is an industry that's providing a vital funding source for cartels, um, and that funding source can then be used to escalate violence um, and to support further organized crime. So the issue is pretty similar. The details are fairly different, but just as a preview, that's what you're about to hear. Yeah, I guess that there's a reason they call them blood avocados and blood diamonds, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mexico has been an important site for drug production and trafficking to service the American and Canadian illegal drug markets for a while now. To explain how cartels got into avocados, you have to go back to 2006 when Mexican President Felipe Calderon launched Operation Michoacan, which was it was basically a militarized campaign to take back control of the state because it had been really overrun with cartels. Uh, what ended up happening, it did not end up taking back control of the state. Instead, it ended up breaking up cartels into dozens of smaller and more difficult to control cartels. So in a way, it kind of just made the situation messier. And today there are at least nine cartels that are operating in Michoacan. But one of the big ones is the Jalisco New Generation, or CJNG. So that's one of the biggest cartels. When Calderon's crackdown on drugs started, cartels basically decided, we better diversify beyond drugs. We better have revenue sources that aren't just drugs, um, because the government's sort of coming down harder on us. And because agriculture dominates the Michoacan economy and avocados are a big cash crop, that was sort of a natural choice. So the cartels decided to get a piece of the avocado industry, basically. All right, what did that mean in practice? Cartels started to provide security for avocado farmers in exchange for a trading fee, which is like kind of like a tax. Uh, and this is a little bit complicated to explain, uh, in part because in some cases, farmers actually welcomed the drug cartels initially because they were able to provide a service that the state didn't provide. They were able to genuinely provide some security for some farmers. Um, in exchange for that uh, trading fee. Over time, though, cartels basically became more predatory and they stopped providing those services that farmers liked. Instead, they were sort of just extorting farmers, transporters, and packers. It was a really profitable thing for them to do. Between 2009 and 2013, they earned about 750 million U.S. dollars from avocados in Michoacan. 
And it's not just extortion. Um, in some cases, they also directly took over lands used to produce avocados. So they, in a sense, became the informal owners and could profit from avocado production directly. Theft is also a big issue. Four avocado trucks are stolen in Michoacan every single day. That's a lot. <laughs> and there are also allegations of kidnapping, robbing, harassment, threatening, and murder against um, avocado farms and other people involved with avocados. I'll give you a couple examples of this um, that are fairly recent. In August 2019, there were 19 people killed in Urwapan, um, which is the second largest city in Michoacan. And it's also where a lot of the avocado packing happens. Uh, the attack was claimed by the Jalisco New Generation Cartel, and it is believed to be related to a fight for control, both of the drug and the avocado industries in the region. And as you had mentioned last month, the U.S. briefly suspended avocado imports from Mexico after an American safety inspector was threatened uh, in Michoacan. These kinds of things happen a lot. They usually affect, um, you know, avocado farmers and like ordinary Mexicans. The threat on safety inspectors, I assume, happens, but, um, you know, you don't hear of like killings of safety inspectors all that often. <laughs> so... Uh, partially because, you know, the U.S. had a pretty big reaction there. After the, uh, the cartels sort of became more predatory, some Michoacan sort of cities and um, residents uh, formed self-defense forces and community groups in order to sort of like fight the cartels directly. So from what I was able to see, that was somewhat helpful for a while, but it Eventually, these groups became corrupt as well, and cartel members joined, and it sort of ended up being just another sort of like rival cartels. So it's not awesome. <laughs> what a wild like transformation, you know? Like, oh, there's actually more money in bullying people, so let's 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 pivot to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's um, you know the result is this ongoing war between different cartels and between the cartels and the self defense forces. It's really a mess right now, and as in particular, cartels are fighting to control Michoacan. Avocados are becoming a big part of the strategy. You know, if you're a cartel, you can take money from avocados to, you know, get you the resources to buy American guns and bring them back across the border and fight your battles. You know, it's it's a real tool in your belt if you can get that avocado money. Some farmers, instead of joining the self-defense forces, like some of them will just sort of accept the fees or whatever and they'll pay them. Some of them have abandoned their fields to avoid dealing with cartels. There's a range of strategies that different farmers have taken, but it's a real sort of impact on their lives. And I do want to highlight that not all Mexican avocado farmers are linked to cartels, and it can be really difficult to tell which is which. This, again, is like pretty similar to the conflict minerals story, right? Except the difference being that in the conflict minerals cases, you actually had some efforts at supply chain traceability where you could say more easily, you know, this mine is not in a rebel controlled area, whereas this one is. With avocado farming, it's a lot harder to do that. Uh, and, uh, like one last thing that I want to note on this is that it's not just avocados. Michoacan is also a major berry producer and also a big lime producer. So some of these same cartel issues do apply in those industries as well. And actually, the lime industry is really interesting. There are allegations that cartels have actually been price fixing limes by limiting the amount of days that farmers can pick limes so that they create like a shortage and the price goes up. Oh. So <laughs> limes. Does it help if people stop eating avocados or like does that only hurt the local? Because like you were saying, not everybody's involved in this and it's hard to know who is. So like if we just carry on eating avocados as normal, then that's not really solving the problem. But if we stop eating avocados or buying them from that region, then it's only hurting the people there. So like, do, do you know if there's a solution to this? Yeah, I, I spent some time thinking a little bit about solutions. The headline is, I don't think boycotts are productive. Um, and what really needs to happen is the U.S. needs to pass gun control laws. <laughs> but <laughs> So maybe focus your efforts on that if you're really upset about cartels and avocados. Um, but I just, I just very quickly want to highlight as well that it's not just Mexico where there are issues. Um, I'm sure like... 
if I had spent more time digging into all of the countries that produce avocados, I would have found things there as well. A quick uh, look at the Kenyan avocado industry found that there is a plantation there with allegations of assault and rape um, at uh, the Kazuki PLC avocado plantation, which is a really big one, and it's owned by a British agricultural company. So I focused on cartels here. That's probably like what people will have heard on, heard of before. It's what there's the most written on. And like cartels are different in a certain sense, but it's not like other areas are really, you know, perfect either. If you just bought avocados from a different country, it wouldn't necessarily solve the problem. So what do you do about blood avocados? Unlike conflict minerals, there aren't really clear alternatives available. You can't find like a conflict-free avocado label out there. But it is, as you mentioned, Kyla, a similar problem where you don't really want to hurt the avocado farmers in Mexico who are the ones that are most harmed by the cartels. Uh, because that's really who would be hurt the most. You know, cartels will just move on to the next cash crop. So for that reason, I really don't think a boycott is the solution. In terms of other actions, yeah, I mean, like politically, you can, if you're an American, for sure, like write your congressman telling them you want stricter gun control laws um, or like more support to the Mexican government or I don't know what the solution is, but <laughs> you know, I think you have to solve the cartel problem. Decriminalization of drugs, maybe. I don't know. But there are some actions you can take as a consumer. Uh, my first tip would be don't waste avocados. Food waste in general is bad, but it's especially bad for avocados because they have a really high emissions footprint as far as plant-based foods go. And they're a really easy one to accidentally waste. Like, I don't know how many times I've, like, had an avocado and I'm waiting for it to ripen and then I miss the day and then I'm like, oh, this is no good now, you know? Yes, yeah. So, I mean, one suggestion is, like, buy a small amount of avocados, buy them when they're a couple days from being ripe so you've got some leeway. If you're storing them, make sure that any parts without the skin on it are covered. I like to use a beeswax wrap for it, and I think it works pretty well. You can also store avocados in the fridge when they reach the ripeness that you want. It does change the flavor a little bit, but personally, it has never bothered me. And you can also freeze avocados if you don't think that you'll be able to eat them in time. Uh, it can be really good if you want to put avocados in like a smoothie or something. If you freeze them in little chunks, that's super easy. That's a really good idea. That's a great solution. Like for, I, I don't use my freezer enough when it comes to like fresh food. Yeah, it can be a really great solution. Uh, you can also buy fair trade avocados. So as a reminder, we've talked about fair trade on the podcast before, but it is basically a label that tries to ensure that there's a fair price paid for farmers. So in the Mexican avocado context, fair trade applies to smallholder avocado farmers. It ensures that there's a price minimum that those farmers are paid. And it also ensures that they're paid a fair trade premium, which then they can put into either community or business investments. So it's a way to you know make sure they can get the equipment they need. Or if there's like some community infrastructure that needs to get built or something like that, the fair trade premium can go to that. It's not like the same as a cartel-free label, but there is a fairly sizable worker co-op called Pregor that's involved with fair trade in Mexico. Um, and they produce not only fair trade, but also orga organic avocados. So that can be a solution. Just a note though, av organic avocados, organic is great. Um, but it's not a, like a catch-all. It only deals with pesticide and herbicide use. So if you're looking for labeled avocados, Fairtrade is probably the one to go for. It may not be available in your supermarket. Check out a few supermarkets to see. And if not, then just, you know, treat those avocados like gold. <laughs> Don't waste them. This one's kind of a bummer because, like, the solution isn't even related to the problem at all. It's like gun control, you know? <laughs> like I know, yeah. Decriminalization of, of like illicit substances. And it's like, goddamn, avocados have nothing to do with that. They're just like caught in the middle. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel like, I don't know. We always try on the podcast not to just be like boycott this thing as a knee-jerk reaction. We try to think about the broader context. But it's a real bummer that there's not something more practical we can suggest here. Yeah. Yeah. Drug cartels are, I don't know, the war on drugs is maybe a bad idea. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Like, 
<laughs> you know, when we were coming into this episode, I knew that there were problems with avocados, but I didn't think that the solutions you were going to pitch to me were gun control and decriminalization of uh, drugs. <laughs> so like... <laughs> okay, yo, I didn't say this because it didn't really flow with my what I was saying, but there was a study in 2013 in San Diego that found nearly half of all gun stores in the United States would go out of business if it weren't for the sales boost provided by the drug war in Mexico. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, really my God. Just, like, <laughs> gun control. Like, for God's sake. Like, you don't even need to take away all of the guns. Like, just don't make it a free-for-all where you can buy them at Walmart, you know? For God's sake. Yeah. If I am going to suggest boycotting anything in this episode, it's guns. <laughs> <laughs> I second that one. I second that one. I mean... We haven't done, we haven't really talked about guns on the podcast before, actually. Like, this might be the first time we've talked about guns, really. Yeah, it could be. It could be. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Like, we have not really talked about guns. I mean, in Canada, it's not like they're non-existent. Yeah, there's a lot of shootings in Toronto. Yeah, but you think, when you think of, like, gun control, you always think of the United States. So, mm -hmm. I, it, it hadn't even occurred to me that we hadn't really addressed it. But, of course, with avocados, now, now it's coming up to the forefront. And cross that off the list. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, well, I guess I still, I mean, I came into this expecting one thing, and you still managed to surprise me, Kristen. So, you know, it's nice to be <laughs> surprised, I guess, continually after two years. <laughs> so, like, great job. Um, if listeners want to add us for anything about this, uh, you want to tell us more about the Mr. Ripe, uh, which I would love to know more about, you can get us on Twitter at Pullback Podcast. We are part of the Harbinger Media Network. So if you like today's episode, you can check out the Harbinger Media Network at harbingermedianetwork.com to find more shows that are just as uplifting, maybe a little bit more uplifting than, than us, including my new favorite that I've been listening to, which is Kino Lefter, a left-wing take on popular movies. And again, their taste in movies is is not the same as mine. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far as to say bad because I'm a nice person, but <laughs> I, I think one of their hosts was like, "Oh, my favorite film franchise is James Bond," and I was like, "Oh, we are very <laughs> different people." <laughs> but I really really like their takes and like very intelligent like breakdowns of movies in a way that uh, is, is fresh. Honestly, it's nice to have like a podcast that I can listen to. That's like new movies. Cause normally I listen to the Bechdel cast and they just talk about like older stuff. So everyone can check out Kino Lefter and uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. <laughs>